I would work like probably like 15 hours a day. And I know it sounds like crazy, but I did it. I remember my parents came in the middle of the first year and they were like, really felt really sad for my dog. And they took him to Romania. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, this dog is like really unhappy. Cause like I work and sometimes I do one-on-ones and I can walk my dog. But then we were so intense and I would take my dog to work, but no one would walk him. He would just sit and be really unhappy. And then I would be at the office. Like I remember at seven or eight, he'd be like, mom, we're going home. I'm like, no, dude, we're staying until 11. Hello and welcome, everyone. I am Jory Calkins, the founder and CEO of Enduring Companies and the host of Built to Outlast, a podcast and community for business builders by business builders. We explore the journeys and companies of business builders in America with a focus on traditional small to mid-sized business niches and the strategies which enable them to endure and flourish. If you are building a business now or aspire to build one in the future, this is for you. To join the Built to Outlast community and access episodes, show notes, and other community resources to support your journey, please visit builttooutlast.com. If you have or know a business that may be sold and care who the buyer is, or if you want to buy or build a business and care who you do it with, please visit enduring.co to learn more about us, our long-term approach, and our holding company. Welcome, everyone, for our show today. We are speaking with Mada Sagite, who is a friend and the co-founder of Branch, a leading deep linking and mobile attribution company most recently valued at $4 billion in their Series F. Mada, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So excited to be here today. I am really excited about this conversation for a number of reasons, but one of them is that usually we talk to, and I'm speaking with you know founders or CEOs or leaders of kind of more traditional businesses. And you all are a very technology-focused business, but one where that technology, I think, can be very helpful to more traditional businesses as well. So I'm excited to get into that. But first, I'd love to touch on your background, where, you know, wherever you want to start, whether it's, you know, a week old, a year old, a second old, you know, <laughs> tell, tell, tell me about I yourself. I probably have the little bit of more untraditional background for a tech founder. I was born in Romania during communism uh, in a small town called Bacau, which is in the Moldavia part of Romania. And I think it's really interesting growing up in communism. No one owned a business around me, so I didn't have any role models growing up. I never imagined myself owning a business. All the businesses were run by the state. And then I think when communism fell, I was in first grade. And then there were these big uh, funds that were helping make Romania private. And my mom ended up working for one of them. And that was interesting. We were breaking up all these factories and giving ownership to people. And I started kind of learning about business that way. Still never thought I would start my own business. I think my dream when I was a kid, I wanted to grow in a bank. Because when like businesses started, starting the banks were the nicest buildings. <laughs> and I was like, if I could be a teller in a bank, how fun would that be? And that was like... You know, that was my dream. So I think it's very interesting to see how like certain things can kind of shift and mold your life and you can go beyond what you, you know, like what your dreams can be. I came to the States because my mom read in a newspaper that like, oh, if you're like good at math and you win contests, you can get a scholarship in the United States. So um, she's like, let's do this. And I applied to like 25 (laughs) colleges, I think, Uh, which sounds crazy now. And I ended up getting a full scholarship for Cornell. 
studied computer engineering and I did take a course in entrepreneurship, even though I was doing engineering. And I think that's when like the first idea, but it felt very theoretical. Like it didn't feel like something I could actually build. It was like, oh yeah, I'm going to learn about this. But even the, the, the company or the business plan we had was like building like Wi-Fi thing in Brazil or something. It was like very, so something that I was like, oh, this is just like very theoretical. I'm probably never going to start a business. And then I think, you know, I ended up working as a software developer and my visa got denied, my, H, my H1B got denied. So I was like, oh my God, I have to leave the country. But instead of leaving the country, I ended up going and getting a student visa and going to Stanford for uh, um, something called management science and engineering. And that's what I think this idea that I could ever start a business started. So I, I applied to the coolest looking class, which was called clicks and breaks. And it was part of the design school that was getting started at Stanford. I think it was the first ever design school class I ended up taking, which was really fun. And we ended up working with these like companies and doing like almost consulting. And it was, I think, for Disney or Walmart at the time. And then I started taking other these school classes and working with other smaller companies. I did a project for um, Mozilla to try to promote Mozilla. We ended up building a toolbar. Someone bought a car through our toolbar which is really cool. So we were like, okay, I'm like, this is cool. So I remember there was this professor, his name was Michael Deering. He's um, also an investor. I was helping him after a class take stuff to his car. And he, and I remember saying, I'm like, oh, so cool doing projects for these companies. I like, it's so, I admire these people starting things. I don't think I could ever do it, but like, it's just really cool to help them. And I remember he like, put his box down, turned around and looked at me and said, Mada, like, if you don't start a company, who do you think will? And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, like you're smart, you're driven, you have a good education. Like you are the person that should start a company. And I think that moment, that was the moment when I was like, yes, I could start a business. So it's, you know, the idea of someone that you really admire believing in you. That's awesome. I kind of want to like run through a wall right now. <laughs> That's amazing. There's so much, there's so much to unpack. You just packed in so much in like the first five minutes here. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Now we're going to, I feel like we got to spend some time unpacking all that because there's so much great experience and, you know, background to, you know, what you have gone on to build. Can you tell me a little bit more about zero to first grade? What was that like and how, because that's a totally different found, you know, growing up in Romania in communism is a very different foundation than many people have, certainly in our audience and certainly in our country. And so I'd love to hear about the, maybe the good and the bad of that, how that helps you potentially bring a different perspective to conversations and teams, you know, that you're on. Tell me more about that if, if you're up for it. Yeah, of course. I'm trying to overcome that part of me, to be honest. It was very hard. And I think it was, I don't know if like it made me stronger. I actually think seeing Romania become, go from like communism to, you know, capitalism over the following 10 years before coming to the States was a more transformation experience. But I think that zero to first grade was extreme scarcity. We didn't have running water. We, I would like go every Sunday to my grandmother's to take a, cause she lived in the center of town and she had like hot water once a week. So we would all take a bath on Sundays. And it's just like crazy because, you know, like there was the system to have the hot water, but the hot water wasn't there. Same with like, there was like 
very, you would go into these big stores and there was no food. And then you'd be in lines to get like a chicken. I remember the story about my parents fighting because you got a ration of half a chicken every two weeks. And my dad got, and he, instead of cutting the chicken where both parts are equal, they cut it the other way. And my dad came up home with the top, top of the chicken instead of the bottom. So my mom was like really upset. And there was this big fight about which half a chicken did you pick? So there's like a lot of like, there was a lot of like harshness. It's amazing that you remember that. That's like pretty form. I mean, that's very... The I fact think that you remember like that is pretty formative, four or right? Five. They screamed at each other for hours about this damn chicken. <laughs> uh, and it's just like, it's just like, it was just like, I just remember this idea that, like, oh my God, there's bananas. And then my dad would like, tomorrow there's going to be bananas sold somewhere. And my dad would go at 5 a.m. and sit in line for like five hours to get me like three bananas. So just this, it was just like a very, it makes you really appreciate things. But it also, I think, when I look at some of my friends who grew up here and started companies, they come from like, they think about things a little bit differently. They come from like almost like their their mentality is more like from a bountiful experience and they're more willing to like take risks. And it took me a long time to get there. I think I come from like a scarcity and I'm always like worried. I always have a backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan. So in some way, like I'm a very safe person. Uh, and it's it's like I think I am restaking at hard, but this like my upbringing kind of like evens me out. I think if I didn't have that upbringing, I probably would be even more restaking because my personality is more under the, the risk. But even starting a company, people say it's a big risk. How do you do that? And for me, it was like, well, I have a backup plan. If that doesn't work, I have another backup plan. So it didn't feel like a risk at all to me. That's kind of how I like got myself to do it. Wow. So first grade, Romania opens up and you know, things start changing. Was it an overnight change or did things start feeling different? Or, you know, what was that transition period like before when Romania was kind of transitioning out of communism, but before you moved to the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, it was really good. Um, It wasn't overnight, obviously. I think the first few years were really tough because the inflation, everyone lost everything. Inflation was like a thousand percent or something. But then things stabilized and my mom, like, we didn't have anything, so we didn't lose anything. So all good. And then my mom kind of like <laughs> moved into getting a, a job in this privatization fund. And like, you know, we started having food and hot water and things. And then my mom got a job working for a British fund. This was basically a British private equity fund would come and like buy Romanian companies and like turn them around and then sell them. And that was a big thing. She moved to Bucharest. My dad and I ended up moving after her. This was in 10th grade. And by then, I would say we were full on middle class. We had a nice apartment. There was always the food I wanted, you know, hot water all the time. Uh, and I know it sounds crazy, but this idea that you can wake up in the morning and take a hot shower. I'm never going to. I'm never taking that for granted. It's amazing. I feel like that's a different foundation. I mean, I think you view it as in maybe a mixed thing. But I think the fact that you have kind of gratitude and recognition that that's not always there, you know, it's a pretty powerful, pretty powerful thing. But I, I'm, I didn't mean to take you off track. Keep going. I promise you I'd shut no, up. No, I mean, I uh, think, I and, think and I'm jumping was, in. This is fascinating. I think this was, and it was really interesting because it gave me a lot of, um, just like seeing that transition and starting valuing things, you know, and like, I got the computer when I was like 11th grade, which was like, very late. I think when I went to college and people had been coding since fifth grade, it was like, oh God, I like, 
just got the computer a year ago. So there was definitely that, you know, coming to the States at the Ivy League university definitely felt like, you know, it, it felt like a, a new hurdle, right? Like we had gotten out of poverty. I was like doing kind of well. And then I came here and I was like, oh man, compared to these kids. And then I felt the same thing when I went to business school years later. I was like, oh, but like I, I, I had a good job and I made money. And then like, I was like, oh, wow, this is like a new level. So I felt like I was always the underdog, like the person who didn't quite like fit in and came from like a more, a poorer background. So I, I think for a long time, I had a chip on my shoulder and I always tried to prove myself. It took me a long time to get to a point now where I'm like cool with who I am and I don't have that need. But I think it took me like, you know, I'm 40. It took me like maybe 38 years to get here. <laughs> um, so that's it. But I think it was a drive to start a company. Yeah. Well, I think some people don't even get to that point, you know, after 40 years or 80 years or 100 years. So, you know, it's a powerful journey that you've been on. Yeah, it was therapy and working on myself and getting some success. And and I'm probably not fully there, but I'm a lot more there than I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Tell me about then coming to the U.S. It sounded like, you know, both your parents, but your mom in particular was a catalyst in terms of working for this fund and moving you all to uh, Bucharest and then, you know, potentially moving to the U.S. So that's a that's a powerful kind of figure for you probably to have in your life. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her pushing me. I probably still have some success in Romania, but it would definitely not be the same story if it wasn't for her. And and the vision that like, and I think many parents and I, even parents of my friends, they didn't want their kids to go so far and they weren't okay. And they were like, I remember my best friend from middle school wanted to come to the US and her parents like really didn't. And she applied, ended up applying a year later on her own. Uh, and I feel like very lucky that my mom like saw the potential and like put myself and my future above like her and her having me close to her. And I'm an only child, so I think it was even harder for her. But she just really felt like getting me out and, and getting me into something would give me so much more opportunity. I think it's different now. I think Romania now has a lot of opportunity. But at the time, I think that's just she felt like like leaving was more would be more opportunity for me. And I just think it was just amazing for her to do that. And for me, I was like kind of unsure. I was dating some guy who was like, don't leave. But I think it was, it was, you know, coming to the States and Cornell was such an amazing place. I just was like, oh my God, so many people, so many cultures. I've never been exposed to anything like that. So I feel like, you know, there's these like stepping stones in life when like something major changes and it completely changes your trajectory in your life. And coming to the States, coming to Cornell was definitely one of those moments where like my destiny changed, right? My destiny went into a different direction. And, 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 you know, I think in, in, in a really, in a really cool way, like I probably grew so much in that first year more than like, if, I don't even know if any time after. You know, many of the folks that I talk to have incredible stories, but I think the, how you describe it, the stepping stones is like, it's an, your story is an amazing one in terms of just different stages of life that you've had and been able to live and experience. And it's not the breadth of that is not something that the vast majority of people have. So it's it's awesome context and I appreciate you kind of sharing it. So you're now in the US, you're in undergrad in engineering. So you were you had a visa, was do you have a visa for undergrad? 
is or you had a visa for work no no i just had the visa to study got it so you need the sponsorship to get after so i ended up after college i applied like i actually studied computer engineering realized that i wasn't that into computer engineering and, and electrical engineering as much um but it was very it's very hard to switch majors uh cornell is like based on um, semesters versus quarters and like it's very rigorous so I continue with that but like I really I ended up minoring computer science and I really enjoyed doing computer science more I did a few internships working for um, BorgWarner it's a chain automation it's like basically they manufacture parts for cars and I ended up going as an electrical engineer but I ended up building all this software to automate a lot of their work and I was like oh man I really like so I like looked for a job and I ended up getting a job for Siemens as a software developer. And they were going to sponsor my H1B, but it didn't go through. So they were going to send me to India, but I didn't know that they were going to send me to India. So I just applied to schools and ended up getting to Stanford into this management science and engineering. And that's, I think, when I like realized it. I mean, as a developer, I like really liked it, but it felt really lonely. I wanted to interact with people more. So I think going into this, I was like, oh, I can get a different job. And and that's when like, I decided I wanted to start a company, but like I needed sponsorship. And like I felt like I wasn't couldn't actually start a company after that. And I was, I didn't have, and I talked to a bunch of people. They were like, oh, you don't have that much experience. And then I had interviewed and got an offer from consulting. So I ended up going and doing consulting uh, for about a year. And I realized I hate consulting. <laughs> <It's probably laughs> Tell me more about that. Why is that? Most unhappy year of my career, by far, if I compare it to everything, including all the internship I had. I think I just am a doer. I like putting things out there and building. Even now, even though I manage a fairly large team, I still create things. Like I was working on an outline for a blog post right before this. And in consulting, you don't really, you do slides and you advise people and they might not even take your advice. And, oh, it was a lot. And it's a lot of travel and it's very monotonous in some ways. I, I just, and also I was a consultant in 2007, which was a big recession. So all my projects were saving costs and firing people. Uh, <laughs> and so I ended up leaving. I broke my contract. I paid back my thing and I ended up working for a startup. Um, it was a website developer tool and they ended up sponsoring me. I got a green card. And worked with them until I decided to apply to business school. And that's how we met. We got to our meeting. Yes, indeed. Which of, of all the stepping stones, I don't think meeting me was a very pivotal one. But you never know. You never know. Who knows? And then was it during business school that or, uh, that you connected with Michael Deering? To, let's go back no, to this that was conversation. Actually, that... No, that was before. This was before. That was actually in MSNE five years before business school. Uh, when the D school okay. was getting started, but I kept in touch with him and he started this class called Launchpad. So I would go and every year. And then when we in business school, I was like, I want to take this class because I knew I knew Michael Deering and stuff. So I convinced Alex, my co-founder, to apply with me to this class. And that's how that was how branch started, basically. Let's because uh, this is an awesome story and journey of you all, you know, trying different things and then ultimately building what has become branch so wherever you want to start that story and maybe it's in this class yeah it starts before the class actually um alex and i alex is our ceo one of my co-founders we actually met uh, before business school at an admit weekend 
And I just really liked them. I was like, oh man, another nerd. And there weren't that many nerds in business school. I'm like, you like sci-fi? I like sci-fi. <laughs> um, and <laughs> we kind of kept in touch. We ended up traveling. I had a boyfriend at the time and, and, and this other girl. So four of us kind of went around Thailand. So we, we were kind of like friends slash acquaintances. And I remember... When business school started, I was like, go to parties. And I would come back from parties and Alex would be coding in the MPA lounge. I'm like, oh my God, who is this person? And I knew he was working on apps, <laughs> but he didn't really know how to promote it. And I'm like, oh man, I can help. I'm like, I actually know how to promote this stuff. I can help you get more users and make them look pretty. Like they're very functional, but they don't look that good. <laughs> and uh, he was working with these other guys. And I was like, kind of jealous that he was working with these people. So I remember kind of in December, at the end of the first quarter, I was like, hey, let's get coffee. <laughs> and he's like, okay. So he started telling me about all these ideas. One of them was a linking company. And I was like, oh, it's so boring, but I'll help you. Here are like some uh, intros. And then the other thing was like, he had this Fitbit for dogs idea. And I was like, hey, this is such a cool idea. I would love to work with you on that. We could apply to a lunch pad. And he's like, yeah, maybe. And then like, She's like, what do you think? And then I sent him this really long email. I still have it. I posted on LinkedIn because it's been 10 years. And I was like, this is why I think we should do it. This is all the ideas. This is what I could do. And I did so much research. I went like super deep into why we should do this. So I think he's like, okay, fine. Let's go. And this is the Fitbit Fitbit for... The Fitbit for dogs. And I'm like, let's apply to this class with Michael Deering. I know him. And the, the thing about this class is like you had to apply a quarter in advance and if you would go to office hours every Wednesday and they would give you homework. So it's almost like you started doing work. So Alex and I would go and they would be like, well, before next Wednesday, go and talk to 10 dog owners. So we started kind of like just like working together on this. It was just him and I at the time. And then we're like, oh, we probably need more people. And then Mike reached out to Alex saying, hey, I want to build a hardware incubator. And Alex is like, actually come and incubate our Fitbit for dogs, join our team. So he kind of was like, okay, I'll apply for the class <laughs> with you guys. And then we found this other guy who was like a engineering, engineering undergrad or master's. We ended up firing the other guy in the middle of the class. We had to tell the whole class. And then we had to talk about it. He had to say his side of being fired by us. And we, we had to say how it felt to fire him. <laughs> it was like so oh, man. intense. We're going to have to circle back to this. <laughs> We're going to have to um, circle back to this. But one of the things they do in that class, which I thought was really cool, is like they give you a thousand dollars to incorporate towards a lawyer and they give you a lawyer to help incorporate. And then like, if you want to incorporate, and it's funny, all the companies that incorporated are still around or were still around for a while. One of them is Fellow, you know, the drinking, like the coffee that were in our class. The other one is called Homebase. Uh, I just met the CEO, John, and he's in my YPO group now. And it's just like really cool to see that like actually making people make a commitment like does work because that's when we had to make the decision. It's like, oh, do we want this guy? Do we want to give him equity on paper? And that's when we fired. We would have not fired him otherwise during the class, right? So that was, I think, kind of how it all started. And when people make you commit, it's like, and actually put things on paper, work with a lawyer, like it does make a big difference. None of the, the companies that didn't incorporate obviously didn't go anywhere. That's cool. Yeah, John, John is great. That's I didn't know you all were in the same class together. What a small world. Yeah, and there's, it's funny that they're still around. And Jake with Fellow, like I was like, oh my God, this is going to go nowhere. I was wrong. I have a Fellow. I have a bunch of Fellow things. We just got like, we did this big celebration and we bought everyone Fellow mugs at Branch. So it's just like really cool to see how... <laughs> 
things come around. That's so cool. So you are now in this class together. You've the four of you have decided to become three of you. So what's the next step? So you're you're kind of iterating on this concept, or you've you know incorporated, and then what what came next? The class is over. They ask us, "What's the likelihood you're going to continue with this business?" And people are like seven, eight. We're like twelve <laughs> out of ten. And then like um, <laughs> a week later, like this company announced that they raised seven million dollar to build a very similar product. And then we were trying to apply to Y Combinator, and they're like. We had five companies with this idea. You can, yeah, this is, so we're like, oh man, this maybe, is maybe this, for, for, for dogs. dogs. Maybe this is not the right thing. It's like, so I think Alex, Alex is very like numbers driven, like very, like he doesn't let emotions influence him that much. And he's like, I've really thought about it, guys. I don't think this is it. We should do something else. I had like, we all declined our internship offers this summer. I think I had an internship offer from Apple, which is kind of my dream, but I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. <laughs> So we all got into a room and we're like, what's next? Which by the way, when you, so I just want to highlight a lot of people would not make that choice that you just like, you just described very flippantly, like, especially with someone with your background who, you know, is self-described as risk averse. It was very hard to make that choice. I believe it, but you did, you did, which is awesome. I had no money like that somewhere. It was like, what am I going to live on? But so the way I did it is like, at Stanford, you can have two internships. You do like a main one and then like a smaller one at the end of the summer internationally. So I did end up doing that in um, in Buenos Aires. And I got some money to pay for my flights and food. So I used miles to pay for my flights. And then the money that they gave me, I used <laughs> to actually pay for my rent that summer. That's how I was able to afford rent. <laughs> Look at that. Life hack. Life hack. Um, That's awesome. And uh, yeah, it was hard. I mean, I remember I had this like women in management group and like we did a thing where like helping me make the decision and they were asking me all these questions and I started crying and, you know, I was talking to Alex Day from my class and she's like, I still remember when you made that decision and uh, how hard it was for you. And like, I'm like, yeah, you were there. You helped me. But yeah, it was it was definitely not an easy decision. But obviously, looking back, it feels like the right one. But at the time, I was like, "Shit, should I have taken the Apple internship?" Well, I think it seems like it was the right, a good decision. But I also want to acknowledge, like, hats off to you. Nine, I think ninety nine percent of people would not have made that decision that you made, especially if they're coming from a risk averse background. So obviously, it's worked out, which I'm excited to, to talk about. But one of many kind of stepping stones. But that one, I feel like it wasn't your mom or anyone else kind of setting you up with that opportunity, you kind of made that one yourself. I think it helped seeing my co-founders make the same choices. I was like, well, Alex could get any job he wants, but he's doing that. And then Mike also came from like a very poor background and he didn't even have money to pay for rent because he didn't do anything else. So he did this thing where he signed, he made a spreadsheet. I don't know if you remember. And he's like, who can host me over the summer? People sign up and he slept on people's couches the whole summer. And one night, I remember someone didn't like reach out to him. They forgot about him. So he ended up sleeping in the library the whole night. And he was like, the MBA library in the middle of the night gets cleaned. And it's not a very nice place to sleep. Because <laughs> there's a lot of like, I a no everyone comes and there's a lot of noise and cleaners. And so <laughs> the things you learn. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. I had no idea. These, these are, it's always fascinating to do these because it's, 
often with people that I'm friends with or I've known for a long time, but I always learn something or many things new, which is awesome. It's I think it's probably my favorite part of doing these. Um, That's awesome. So you so you guys are working over the summer, you know, making the 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 deci- hard decisions. Yeah, and we came up with a new idea. I think at the beginning of the summer, we needed a new idea, and Alex was like, you know, like I had this thing. We take all of the pictures on the phones, but my mom, my grandma really love like printed things. What if we do something that like an app that allows you to print these really easily from your phone? So we came up with this app. I came up with the name it was called Kindred because it was all about like creating this for your family and friends. And um, we spent the whole summer building an app and we had like someone helping us on Android. Alex built the iOS app. I designed it. I learned how to be a graphic designer. And I just did it all in Photoshop because I didn't know Illustrator. And Mike figured out all the like backend. Like he found a printer. He worked on like actually getting the, the stuff printed. And then we launched in like, I think October or something, right? After we all came back and school started. And uh, initially we got like no one. We're like, oh my God, we're launching. We, no one's using our app. What are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so how, so someone would upload the app and submit pictures and then you all would print them on the back end and send, and ship it ship it to them yeah and it was this little uh, square booklets that cost ten dollars and the idea was that you would do a lot of them like you would like because they're cheap you would do like send one you know after a trip you'd send them to everyone on the trip or like if you you know you did it for your newborn baby you'd send to everyone in the family so our hypothesis was that people would do a lot of these we went to the cheaper type booklet that was easy um, to do and that was cheaper. We were wrong in our hypothesis. Uh, we actually did end up getting a lot of volume and people bought 1.2 on average. So it's really hard to make our, our numbers. Like in the, in, the, in the beginning, we were featured in the app store at Best New Apps, which is really fun and cool. And same in the Android store. So we got a lot through that. But after the feature ended, we didn't really like have that much and then but with them with these investors that were really impressed with Alex and then with the rest of the team they're like I think this is a really good team we should invest in them no matter what they do so they gave us some money like fifty thousand dollars on a convertible note and I spent it all on marketing dollars and we like acquired users so we knew how much it cost to acquire a user it was about two dollars conversion rate was ten percent so it's basically like about twenty to forty dollars for a paying customer and we made a dollar per paying customer. So we would need them to buy 40 books for us to even break even on our acquisition costs, uh, which was probably not going to happen. This is kind of what we started realizing that this was not necessarily the, you know, very sustainable business. That's fascinating. I mean, good for you guys to get into, for getting to those unit economics so quickly. I feel like yeah, you all, I remember that phase and I, I feel like you all were, Alex certainly, but the group was super focused on understanding that and getting to it quickly to deciding whether or not it was the right one. Yeah. And then we're like, then we tried pivoting to doing a printing business for others. Like, oh, we know printing. Let's go to all the other photo, uh, like photo apps and introduce printing. And we did, but people weren't that interested. They were like, oh, we just care about growth. We don't care about monetization now, maybe later. So like, oh shit, people care about growth. And that's kind of what led to branch. Yeah. So you just, like I, I got to pick up where you just left off. So tell, so you can't leave me hanging on that. So tell, tell me about that. So because that, that's kind of the insight that led to branch, right? That that people were super focused on growth, 
on one side, the, 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 the you know, the photo book business, I, I think we were like, we could turn this into a sustainable business if we worked really hard, but this is never going to be a giant business. This is going to be like a lifestyle business and we could do it, but this is what we actually want to do with our lives. Does this make a big difference in the world? And then I think one Sunday, Alex was like, who has time to come to my place and, and brainstorm? And I was like, I was the one who ended up going. And we started thinking about like, what are our biggest learnings? Like, what was our biggest problem? And our biggest problem was actually acquiring new users. We're like, the only options that we have is like, we either go into the app store and we get a feature, which is very hard to get in looking at the whole time, or you pay a lot for these, one of these things. And there must be a better way. And I was trying to build virality loops. I was trying to build referrals, but there was no way when you shared, like I, I was like, oh, if I share a photo book from a trip and I share it with my friend, they should be able to go download the app and see the photo book and continue adding photos. And there was just no way of doing that. Like the, the link between what was shared from the app and them installing the app, all the context was lost. And I kept saying, thinking there must be a way. Similarly with like two of our major people we're focusing on were uh, teenagers in long distance relationships and mom with new babies between zero and two. Those are two. We had hoped that those were very good personas for us, but they behave very differently. So when I acquired someone from like a teenager campaign, I wanted to give them a different onboarding experience than to a mom. And there was, again, no way of knowing which campaign they came from after they installed the app. And I kept messaging friends who were to Facebook. I'm like, there must be a way you can like send parameters to installs. Like, this is crazy. They're like, no, there isn't. So I remember telling Alex, I was like, remember that problem? You had this idea of like using fingerprinting. Like we could, he's like, yeah, we could like use on my deep linking. Like, let's like, is this a real problem? So we started calling people. We called like some of our classmates that had worked in gaming. I had a friend who worked, who had worked at Zynga and now was at Gogobot who became trip.com. And he's like, yeah, this is, I'm a product manager. I don't, there's no way of solving this. If you give me this, I'll build this onboarding thing. So we're like, oh man, maybe this is something. So we came back on Monday and we're like, I think we found a new thing to work on. Man, that's awesome. I feel like the a life motto for Mata's life is there must be a way. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. That's funny because that was my business school essay. Really? It was um, what wow. matters most to me and why is I said making pigs fly, but basically finding a way when other things, this, it's impossible. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to, I need to like follow up with you and, and get a copy of that essay. All right. So you're, you guys are having this brainstorm session. You start talking about attribution and deep linking. Mata's just come up with her, her life tagline, which is there must be a way. So what, so what happens next? You've called a bunch of people. You figured out this is, seems like a problem. What was the next step? How did you guys decide what to build? We're like, we came back and we're like, we think we have something. Let's try out. And then we started like cold emailing people. I became an SDR. And so did Mike. We were just like, <laughs> Alex was like, I'm going to try building this. And we're like, let's like email people and say, hey, we're Stanford students. We're working on this project. Can you give us some feedback? You'd be surprised how many people replied to that. And a lot of people That's were like, That's a good yeah. signal, right? That's a good it's market a good signal. signal. And, but people were like, oh my God, I need this. It's like, yeah, tell me more. I would buy this. But I think there was this magic to like finding product market fit because like we had never experienced that before. Like before we would go to parks and be like, we're building this thing. And people would be like, mm, I don't know. Or we'd go to people and be like, we have this photo book printing app. I'd be like, no, I prefer going to Walgreens. I want to get my photo books printed the same day. 
But with this, everyone was like, everyone who like would be a customer was like, yes, I need this. How can you do this? How can you show me it's reliable? Like there were all these questions and it's not like I would buy this tomorrow, but everyone said, this is something I need. If you build this and it's done well, I'm going to try it and buy it. And we had just never experienced anything like that before. It was like magical. And I think sometimes founders or business owners don't like understand that and they think they have it. And I, I'm with an advisor and I'm like, I don't think you have it. And they like, which argue. And I'm like, if you, if you had it, you'd know. But when, when you do have it, it is magical. And once you've had it once, you know what to look for. But if you've never had it, it's very hard to understand how it feels to have product market fit. That's awesome. Yeah. And you guys had not had it a few times. So you knew kind of what you with had. The, yeah, exactly. We can right? compare. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's like you would, it's a very interesting path because had you not had those experiences and you kind of like fought through those and kept going, you might not have known or you might not have even tried to, to you know, keep running with it when you had it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that was the thing. The first idea is people talk a lot about vitamins versus painkillers when it comes to companies. I think the first few ideas were definitely vitamins. It was just things that we thought people wanted. And Branch was definitely a painkiller came from a need that we needed ourselves. Like I was struggling with this problem marketing our app. I think the other thing that was very interesting about those years, you know, we stayed together as founders for 10 years. Like now we're kind of like this people, people are starting to move on in different directions. But I still feel 10 years is a long time to have four people. We, we had a fourth founder join us at, in the middle of Kindred. Um, she was a lot younger than us. But so the four of us stayed together. I think 10 years is a long time. And I think it's well, most founders don't stay and they most companies break in the early days because founders don't get along and there's something happens. I think those like trial and error built made us a team. So when we raised money for branch, we like knew everyone knew I was like really good at the creative stuff. So I was gonna do marketing and website, and Mike was good at selling and operations. So he was gonna be COO and like Dimitri was gonna do back end and Alice was gonna work more on front end. Like we knew very what we were good at, so we didn't have to like we knew how to deal with, with like, we had t- done touchy-feely sessions in ourselves. So we just moved a lot faster because of that like year and a half of failing before branch. Yeah, and I bet that allowed you to move faster and with more conviction and with more trust amongst you all that people were running in the right directions and playing to their forehands. So you all decided to chase after this, you know, over the last 10 years, describe that that journey together because it's been an amazing and phenomenal journey it's still you know still an amazing journey today but describe that that journey because i'd love to in particular hear about some of the kind of rapid growth and scaling challenges you've had because they probably differ from some of the businesses you know that are on the show just in terms of scale and magnitude of growth but first, I'd love to just hear about that journey, and then maybe we can uh, kind of dig a bit deeper on on that aspect of it. I mean, the journey was obviously, you know, I was at the wedding the other day, and uh, this was a very untraditional wedding where we, you got put in groups of people assigned, and you had to talk about something. So one of the topics we all had to talk about was our biggest adventure. And so for me, it was branch. It's the biggest adventure of my life. I don't know if I'll ever be on an adventure so grandiose where I transform and grow so much. I think it was definitely not like what I imagined. I think when people come and they talk about starting a company, they, you know, especially in business school, 
you get a lot of people and they talk about their successes and the things they did well. And people don't talk about how hard it is. And I, it sounds very glamorous and it's not glamorous. It was, um, it like almost broke me. I, it did break me actually. I just like rebuilt myself together in the past few years. I think we, there was nothing else. Like it was only branch. We sacrificed everything, our friendships, our families to make this work. And there was never anything that took priority over branch those first five, six, seven years. And the growth was really cool, but also really hard. We were in, you know, mobile is one of the biggest, most, uh, it shifts a lot. And like, there were so many changes. Apple introduced like two major changes during this that really affected our business. I think one of our values as a business is grit. And our grit allowed us to look at these as opportunities and adapt faster than the competition and actually be able to like kill the competition because we adapted faster. But it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And, you know, I think some of the, and we didn't know anything. Like, I think we were very green when we started this business and scaled it. And it was like, I think of all like the biggest mistake within the early days is not having a recruiting coordinator. Like we would be the recruiters and coordinators. And like, I remember I was doing interviews and scheduling interviews eight hours a day. And like at four or 5 p.m., I would finally be done and start doing my actual marketing job. And I had to build a website and get people to it. And like, so I would work like probably like 15 hours a day. And I know it sounds like crazy, but I did it. I remember my parents came in the middle of the first year and they were like, really felt really sad for my dog. And they took him to Romania. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, this dog is like really unhappy because like, I work and sometimes I do one-on-ones and I can walk my dog. But then we were so intense and I would take my dog to work, but no one would walk him. He would just sit and be really unhappy. And then I would be at the office. Like I remember at seven or eight, he'd be like, mom, we're going home. I'm like, no, dude, we're staying until 11. <laughs> um, <laughs> and anyway, he's, he's still alive in Romania. He, he had a very interesting life because like in the early days we would tie an Android phone to him and he would walk around with a giant, he was a small dog with a giant (laughs) Android phone. So he's a, he was a big part of our journey, but it was, it was really hard. And I think, you know, even figuring out like what to do, we had linking and it was free, but then it's like, how do we make money? We like our first product idea was the the, the product we raised as series B was called branch exchange. And it was about like, Kind of like making an exchange of links that people like a bidding and like no, people said they wanted it, but when we were ready, no one would pay for it. And we're like, shit, raised our series B. This is not working. And then we came up with like a different paying product. We're like, how do people actually use our links? Let's build this, make that easier for them. So that's, we started building web to app banners, uh, integrations with email providers, uh, data analytics. So we, we like learn how to build this. All the way, but like we made mistakes and it wasn't like, it wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean, quite a journey. How would you describe what the business does to a layman? Like, I, I think I understand it, but I, I'm certainly not as sophisticated uh, and certainly not an engineer like you are or others on the team. Yeah, we provide a mobile linking platform and a mobile attribution platform, a mobile measurement partner. So basically the way you would think about it is when a link is generated, you don't know where someone's going to click on that link, uh, especially if your com- your business has an app and a website. Like, should you take them to the app? Should you take them to the website? When should you take them to the app? And if you take them to the app, 
do you want to take them to the exact thing in the app? So imagine someone shares with you a link of a house in Airbnb. If someone clicks on their house, if they have the app, if they have the app on their phone and they click on their phone, you want to open the app on your phone. If they're on the website, you want to take them to the website. If they're on Android, you want to do something completely. You might want to do something different than iOS. So we provide, we actually host that link. When, when someone clicks share, Airbnb says, give me a link and we create the link. So that link is generated by us. And then when people click on the link, we decide where to take them. We provide all the routing. And then, so that's all in terms of the experience. But then to the actual app, we say, oh, this is how people got to your app. They came from, you know, other user sharing links or from this email. We can even like for email, for example, you might send an email and some people might open it on the phone, some people in desktop, some my people com- might convert to the, to the thing you're selling, for example, inside the app and other people on the web. And before something like Branch, they unified the cross-platform, people would look at those like very differently. But now we can actually merge them all together and provide insights across web and app in this like kind of a unified cross-platform way. So if you think about it, we provide both the experience and the measurement. And, and also it's like organic, but also ads. So if you work with ads, ads provider and you can compare, you know, is my referral program doing better than my ads and stuff. So cross-channel, cross-platform. It's been a journey, but you all have had some incredible success with it. Has that success brought in competitors? Like who's who would be a main competitor? Who wants to squash you or who are you squashing? Or Yeah, I think, that, I mean, when I think about competition, I think about two areas. On the linking specifically, there is Google has a product called Dynamic Links uh, that's more targeted towards the long tail developer, similar to what we do with Deep Links. It works I would say it works much better on Android and it's less good at like links. It's like the, 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 the linking works. It's not as well integrated with Apple and iOS, which makes sense. So I think the way we kind of like compare against them is one, we're like better cross platform, but two, we actually provide like we work with like much larger companies and we provide actual like support um, and, and, and enable them to do it, which is like they Google doesn't have that. So they're more like long tail. And we've seen a lot of developers kind of like start using us when they grow. And then the, the other one is uh, companies in the MMP space. So mobile, they came from like measuring ads and they started building linking. So like AppSlyer just, their linking is usually not as good. What's MMP for a knuckle, for a Luddite like myself? What is that? What's MMP? Mobile measurement partner. Got it. So when you go and you buy ads in something like Facebook or TikTok or Snapchat, they they are called self-attributing platforms. And they'll give you numbers, but you might have that different people click on your ad. Maybe someone from like uh you might you might be running ads through a different third party or or Facebook, and you want to give attribution to the to the actual network that drove the conversion. So you need a third party that integrates with all of them. I can tell you where you should pay the attribution and compare and make sure that like, oh, what Facebook says is right. So you have this third party measurement providers that provide that for ads. So we end up acquiring a company that was one of the first doing this called Tune uh, to continue developing and we built like on top of that platform. That's kind of like the area. And then they, so we built that site. They actually came into our space by building linking. I would say our organic offering is a lot more advanced and a lot better. Uh, our matching is better. We have like a lot of studies on that. But I think on the paid side, we have like similar similar functionality. The reason why someone would use us versus them is because they want 
they're organic and paid in one and they want it to be, they want the, the you know, our organic is a lot better. And um, just to give a sense of that 10 year journey, where, so you all started with four of you and, you know, where are you now in terms of size, either, you know, number of employees or revenues or whatever, you know, however is best to, or offices or. I'm not going to share revenue, but we have like, about I think five eighty people. Um, I think wow, five hundred twelve offices. Yeah, we are about over a hundred thousand mobile brands using Branch. So those are some of the things that we we we. So definitely a lot of scale uh, and some cool new things on the horizon outside of the the things I talked about in terms of product. That's awesome. I was going to ask what's you know what's on the horizon. Are you able to share what's on the horizon for the company and for you know, any of that, or is that top secret knowledge? It's top secret, I would say, is in the area of discovering and getting to the content on your phone. But I'll keep it at that. We're going to now, we're going to start talking about it in the next few months. Sounds great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. How, my other question was, you know, you, you mentioned your parents and, you know, you're, you're them feeling bad for your dog. How, you know, your parents have witnessed this kind of amazing journey that you have have had firsthand what are conversations with them like how what are they you know obviously they see you working hard you know what what are their thoughts reflections have you talked about kind of that journey with them yeah i mean i think they're very proud obviously i think at the beginning they were like what is she doing why should they take a job with <laughs> apple and um and i think you know, they started once we started raising money and stuff, they were like, oh my God, this is real. And I think they've been, you know, very supportive. I think they're very proud of me. There's not that many, I think that now there's more Romanian founders that are successful, but at the time there weren't that many unicorns, Romanian unicorns and stuff. So even though we're not a Romanian company, I think they're just very proud of where I am. And, um, you know, like when they come to the states, I show them the offices, and they have branch gear, and I think they're I think they're very proud. But I I know That's that awesome. my co-founders' parents are just as proud of them as well. So I think, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I mean, you all have all had an amazing journey and built something impressive, and and uh, you know, should all be very proud. So I appreciate you sharing your time, sharing your story, sharing your experiences, keeping it keeping it real. To close out, I ask the same question of every guest. It's a little bit goofy uh, and it's a two-part question. It's kind of modeled after the like take a penny, leave a penny dish at a convenience store. But the question is for, you know, aspiring or current business builders in the audience, what is something, you know, that you'd leave for them, either a tip or a trick or a book or a habit, you know, that's that's worked for you in your journey? And then the, the second part of the question will be the flip of that, which is, you know, what is something that our audience can help? you with uh, either at branch or other things that you're working on and and passionate about? I think on the first one, I'm going to use two things. One I'll steal from Alex and one will be my own. The advice I think for new founders, new business builders is just to keep on building. I think it's really easy to say, oh, this is not working. I should give up. I truly, truly believe that if you have the grit, anyone can start a successful business. I think we are an example of that. We did not. It took us a long time to get to the right thing. And, but I think with that comes just keep building and like, don't get too attached to one idea. Like actually be okay 
saying this is not working. And, 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 and I think sometimes it's very scary if you feel like you have some progress in something to let go and start starting something new. So I think that's try to not be too attached to that and, and try to look for that product market fit in whatever you do. The other second one is, you know, my outside of leading marketing a branch, I'm very passionate about culture. I think we've won a lot of awards, something that brings me a lot of pride. And I think the way I've thought about it is really being extremely meticulous and intentional. So we came up with values very early on. Every few years, we have expanded our values. And the last time we did it, I I like to compare culture with a dragon. Like at the beginning, it's baby dragon, you tell it where to go. And like at our side, it's a teenage dragon and (laughs) you can't really... You like can like kind of guide it, but it has a mind of its own. And it's my job and our job to describe our culture. So, you know, last time I did this, I interviewed 70 people. I was like, what makes us different? And some things were things that like went unexpected for me. So we, I, I changed our values and I changed everything to make it like be what reflecting what actually our, our values and our culture is. And I think I learned a lot of this from, I read a bunch of culture books. So if you're interested in building company culture, I say out oh, the two best ones that I read, well, there's three. Uh, are You Are What You Do by Ben Horowitz. Uh, best one. It just like goes through, you know, like, you know, like this is how you put, this is how you do onboarding. This is how, you know, like you, you can be extremely, like it can be a project and you can like infuse everything with your culture. The other one is The Culture Code that talks a lot about like how to build belonging. And the Netflix books is also really good. It's not like our culture, but like it's it's very much like an interpretation of like Ben Horowitz's book and like an example of how someone can be extremely intentional about their culture. No, just like the opening of the episode, the liter- the last three sentences were packed with so much, you know, we could spend another hour, but I won't. But there is so much good stuff in that. So thank you for for sharing that. How on the flip side can I and our audience be helpful to you, what what penny couldn't you know? Can you take from us? I'm gonna go really far from work on something I'm thinking of doing now. Also, I'm, I'm gonna do two things. One is I'm thinking of adopting. So if anyone has advice on adoption, uh, please reach out to me. I want to talk to as many people this year and I figure out how to do it well. And two is I'm writing a book called Startup Monsters about the monsters you have to face to build a company. And I'm looking to interview people. I want to do 50 interviews this year and probably hundred next year and start writing it sometime next year. But you know, if you're interested in being interviewed and you're willing to be vulnerable about your monsters, come talk to me. That's awesome. And there's certainly a lot of monsters to, uh, to slay on that journey, but. Or being to your side, you can, you can always tame them. They can be your friend. If you know how yeah. to tame them, they don't all need to be slain. <laughs> you can turn them into a, a, a great culture dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mata. This has been great. Awesome to catch up. I always learn something new and I've learned a lot new about you, even though we've known each other for a long time. And uh, it's been amazing to hear about the full journey and all the different stepping stones. I appreciate you sharing it. Thanks for having me, Jerry. This was awesome. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To join the Built to Outlast community and access episodes, show notes, and other community resources, please visit builttoutlast.com. If you have or know a business that may be sold and care who the buyer is or want to build a business and care who you do it with, 
please visit Enduring.co to learn more about us, our long-term approach, and our holding company. 